The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And as always, we had lots of things going on in technology. Uh, Starlink has really made quite a debut in Ukraine. It has destroyed Putin's disinformation campaign. I'll tell you about all the things that Elon Musk has done, and it's quite impressive. This week, we're going to feature one an Israeli professor who is... Um, who's behind uh, a lot of the uh, advances in autonomous vehicles, Amnon Shashua. He's uh, in the ecosystem there in Israel. And in addition to being, uh, being a very uh, big researcher in, uh, in, uh, in image processing and image recognition, he is an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, and has been involved with uh, four startups over there in Israel. And we're going to talk a bit about how Israel was able to develop such an effective ecosystem for startups. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz and Andrew. I was pleased to see that the National Inventors Hall of Fame recently reopened after the pandemic. The museum is located in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in Alexandria. It's convenient to Metro. It's a manageable size with exhibits that is interesting to both kids and adults. On a recent visit, I noted a couple of women you covered in profiles in IT, Gladys West and Evelyn Berezin. Uh, oh, Gladys West and e e Evelyn Berezin, were, they were inducted in the Hall of Fame in uh, 2022. Lamar Hetty was also featured in the museum's exhibit. You mentioned her once in your profiles in IT. Of course, many others I found there that you have talked about. Wozniak, Jobs, Tesla, Shannon, Motchley. Now, the Hall of website, the Hall of Fame website includes an inductee search, so you can do research on it. Susan in Alexandria. Susan, that is a great suggestion. I did go to the website. I love the website. I, I looked through all the people that they feature. I plan to go down and visit them in the near future. I actually wasn't really aware that they were down there. By the way, the, um, the website address is www.invent.org. So I've never w heard of this museum. I've never, I didn't know it existed, let alone that it reopened. But it's like walking through profiles in IT. It is. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go down there. You don't suppose so, they've been listening to this show, Doc, do you? And then deciding to do exhibits on the people we're maybe, mentioning? Maybe so. It'll, uh, be, it'll be fun to go in there it to, would see, really be. Uh, yeah. to see if I've missed anybody in our yes. profiles. Yes, also. Good idea. Yeah, because 
It's always fun to talk about the people behind the technology because those are the interesting stories yeah. of where they got their inspiration. We got an email from Doug in Reedville. Dear Tech Talk, we've got a DSL internet from our local phone company. It's pretty good when they first install it, but it's been terrible for the past year. My download speeds are averaging less than two megabits per second, and they refuse to do anything to make it faster. Now, we need higher speed because we do a lot of video streaming. I'd sign up for cable, but it's not available. I've been seeing commercials for Hughes Net Satellite, and they say they have unlimited data with no hard data limits. What exactly do they mean? It's really confusing. Do they really offer unlimited data, and why would they even mention the data limits at all if it's unlimited? Doug in Reedville. Well, Doug, the unlimited part of the phrase means just that. As long as you're subscribed to Hughes.net plan, you can use all the, da the data you want every month without worrying about your internet access being cut off because you exceeded some predetermined cap. However, even though, agree even though they guarantee that they won't cut you off, if you go to their FAQ page, it states that your download speeds will drop from 25 megabits per second to one to three megabits per second, like snail rate, snail pace, after you hit that cap. So they don't cut you off, they just throttle you. That's kind of tricky way of doing it. Yeah, uh, so that little what, four little letters, hard data limit, it's like that's really kind of a little bit slimy, honestly, right? Because you're basically being cut off in a practical way. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to do anything. That's right. Well, you can, you've got enough bandwidth to get your email and maybe <laughs> surf the web, but you can't watch. Well, so you can at least write a letter of complaint to the company. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, if you decide to go to HughesNet, you can you can get many plans. You can get 15 gigabits per month, 75 gigabits per month, depending on how much you want to pay. Now, by the way, you might check out Starlink because Starlink will give you between 50 and 250 megabits per second. It averages around 100 megabits per second, and it's $99 a month. But you've got to buy the hardware, the the uh, the reception dish and all. Which is around, which is currently at five ninety nine. Now I checked your address, Doug, there in uh, in Reedville, or I checked the downtown, an address in downtown Reedville. I, I went to the Starlink site. It said they're not going to have availability for Starlink um, in your area until twenty twenty three because they they keep adding capacity. And they don't want to oversubscribe any one area because they want everybody to have sufficient bandwidth, which, of course, is what your Internet service provider do. They, they oversubscribed their infrastructure and they have so many people on it now that, that you that you essentially only get one, you know, a couple megabits per second because everybody else is using it. That's that's one of the problems with uh, Internet service providers who don't have sufficient infrastructure. Now, one thing about Starlink is that it's low latency and you don't need a really a big dish. Uh, it's because these are low Earth, low Earth orbiting satellites. The, the satellites in, the, in Starlink are only about 375 miles up. They're, they're very low Earth orbit. And they're, because they're close, um, you get very low latency, which means round trip to the satellite and back is only about 10 milliseconds. So it's very low, late, low latency if you, have, if you want to, say, voice over IP using that connection. And the, the bandwidth is much cheaper because it's closer. So it's not a problem. Whereas HughesNet 
uses a geosynchronous satellite, which which goes around, which rotates around the Earth at the same rate that the Earth rotates. So the satellite stays in the same position day and night. You just look up and it's always in the same spot. The geosynchronous orbits are 22,000 miles out. So they're a long way away. So bandwidth through a geosync system is a lot more expensive and there's a lot of latency. So hopefully you can get Starlink in your area soon. And I think that would be a great solution. We've got an email from Jessica in Ashburn. Dear Tech Talk, I love to use Facebook for communicating with my family. However, I'm worried about the privacy settings. I've heard many bad things about Facebook privacy. How can I keep my posts and photos and comments private? How can I tell what, I, what I'm sharing? Jessica in Ashburn, Virginia. Well, Jessica, uh, you, can, you can see what you're sharing. You can ask Facebook to temporarily let you view your profile the way the public views it. And you can see what people who aren't, who aren't on your French list see. Uh, just follow the steps for the device you're using. If you're, if you're using the browser or on a laptop, log into your Facebook account and visit your timeline page. Click on the options icon in the far right of the menu bar. It looks like three vertical dots. And then you click this view as from the drop-down menu. And then from there, you can optionally click the about link to see how, how other view your about page. Uh, that when you go to view as, you're basically viewing it as people who are not your friends, and that's what the public would see. Look around, see what you think. Then when you want, you can click on the X to get out of that, uh, that view thing. You can go back to the regular view. Now, if you see something in your profile that you don't want the public or even your close friends to see, you can tweak it. If you want to hide something from the public but allow your friends to see it, simply change its privacy level to friends. Anything that you do not want even your friends to see, that it should be changed to only me. By the way, uh, Jessica, many families use private groups to communicate, and you, you have to have permission to join the group. Uh, so only all the cousins and everybody in the family is in the group. That keeps outsiders from lurking and seeing all the pictures of the kids. That actually is a pretty good option for families, just to set up a private group. We got an email from Marianne in Kilmarnock. Dear Tech Talk, we've got two Bose Quiet Comfort 35 headphones. On occasion, we would both like to listen to our Apple TV 4K with headphones. However, it is my impression that only one headset can connect at a time. Is there any way to overcome this limitation? Well, um, um, Marianne, your Apple TV box, uh, it, you, it will support two, two Bluetooth streams if you are running the TV OS 14 or higher. Now, the, the Bluetooth headphones must accept the, uh, the technology that Apple requires, and they've got to stream it either in SBC format or AAC format. Now, the two, the two connections are supported as you would expect for Apple devices, like Apple iPods or the Beats headphones. Unfortunately, two connections are not supported for your Bose QuietComfort 35 uh, headphones. Uh, you can only listen to one of them at a time. You can, you can actually connect them both to the Apple TV, but then when one's listening, the other one doesn't get anything. So it only supports 
with the blue with the Bose technology only supports one string. Now, if you'd really like to get both of those Bluetooth Bluetooth headphones working with your Apple TV, you're going to have to get a dual Bluetooth transmitter. Now, a great option is the Avante Oasis Plus Bluetooth transmitter and receiver for TV. It's currently $79.99 on Amazon. It got great reviews. By the way, since this transmitter receiver, you can, you can also use it if you want to hook it up to speakers. Then you could connect an iPhone and it could pick up a Bluetooth signal from your iPhone and send it to the speaker. So it's both a transmitter and receiver. It's a, it's a great little device, not very big. And that way you can have both, uh, both headsets hooked to the Apple TV. Um, dear, uh, dear Doc and Jim, the hard drive, uh, I, oh, dear Doc and Jim, I, I, rep I updated my Windows 7 computer a while back, and like a dummy, I didn't write down the license key for it. The hard drive in this machine went bad. I replaced it with a one terabyte solid state hard drive. Now the bad drive appears to be completely uh, uh, completely dead. It doesn't make any noise at all. This is an email from Peter in Fairfax, by the way. I've already installed the SSD in my new machine, downloaded Windows 10 file to a thumb drive, and, the, and, the, and with the instructions they provided. The thing is, I need an a, uh, a license key to activate Windows 10 after I install it, but I don't have it. Is there any way to retrieve that Windows license from the dead hard drive? Peter in Fairfax. Well, Peter, if you don't need anything, any data, any documents from the dead hard drive, you really don't need to get anything from the dead hard drive at all because you don't need a license key. That's because Windows 10 handles Windows activation much differently than Windows 7. When you install Windows 10 on a PC or tablet, the Windows installation is assigned a license that's digital, digital, digitally tied to a specific device. So it looks at your configuration, looks at exactly how your device is, is hardware is configured, and it's locked to that hardware. So as long as you're installing the same version of Windows, Home, Pro, etc., and, you, and you've got the same motherboard, it's gonna recognize that machine and it will install without a license. All you have to do is, is download the Windows ISO file and uh, from uh, Microsoft, that's the file you put either on a USB drive or on a, or on a read-write CD, and you just install it and it'll be smooth and easy reinstallation. They really did make this much, much better and much more user friendly. We got an email from Dennis in Tulsa, Dear Tech Talk. I've got an older laptop that had Windows on it before the hard drive died. Uh, but now, uh, you know, I'd like to, you know, I bought a new one, I bought a new laptop, but now I'd like to go back to the old laptop, you know, replace the hard drive, and I'd, and I, I'd like to make it a, a I'd like to put Chrome on it. I'd like to make it a, make it a Chromebook uh, and use it, you know, you know, I'd like to still use it, but it's, uh, uh, but just use it to surf the web. Well, is that possible, Dennis in Tulsa? Well, the answer, Dennis, is a definite maybe. Uh, the reason I said maybe is that it depends on your laptop brand and model. The Chrome operating system will work on most recent laptops, but not all of them 
because not all of them have the right drivers to, to, to support the hardware. So you can just try it out. What you want to do is you, you want to buy a new solid state hard drive. You don't need you don't need a very a very big one because not you know not much. The way Chrome works, all the documents are are are, are stored on the web. It becomes basically a web computer. You store very little very little information locally, so you can you can get by with a relatively small solid state hard drive. You probably get one for about twenty bucks. Then you want to install the operating system called Cloud Ready. And you, you can get that. It's free. You go to neverware.com, neverware.com, N-E-V-E-R-W-A-R-E.com, and you, and you download the, um, the, the um, Cloud Ready operating system to a, to a USB uh, to a USB drive, you basically download that the, the whole file, and then you're going to boot up on the USB drive and install the Chrome operating system. Um, wh when you go on the download page, select for personal home use. That's the that's the free version because you don't want to pay for it. And then you uh, and they they basically tell you how to how how to put out put on an installer to build your USB hard drive and install it on your laptop. Now, it's relatively easy to do. Download it, put it on a USB drive, set your laptop to boot up on the USB drive. You boot up, it will install your Chrome operating system now. If, um, if everything goes well and if you've got the right drivers and hardware to support the Chrome operating system, you'll have a Chromebook and a snap. Now, if, if it doesn't work because your, your hardware is simply too old, uh, you can always install Linux because Linux will go on almost anything. Because then you can reclaim that old hard drive and have something useful for it for the near time future. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We most certainly will. So how does your car know when to slam on the brakes when you're not paying attention? An intricate set of cameras and detectors, part of a system that may have been invented in your car, but it may have been invented by the Israeli engineer we're about to meet today. Profiles in IT, next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Amnon Shashua. Amnon Shashua is an Israeli computer scientist and serial entrepreneur, best known as co-founder of Mobileye, an autonomous navigation system. Shashua, Shashua was born May 26, 1960 in Ramat Gan, Israel, to parents of Iraqi origin. From childhood, he was fascinated with computers, a field that was only then in its infancy. In 1985, he got a Bachelor of Science degree in Mathematics and Computer Science from Tel Aviv University. In 1989, he received a Master of Science in Computer Science from the Wisem Institute of Science under the supervision of Simone Ullman. Then he decided to go to the U.S. to continue his education. He enrolled in MIT. In 1993, he received a Ph.D. in brain and cognitive sciences from MIT while working in the artificial intelligence laboratory. Now, after graduation, he took a postdoc and he completed his postdoctoral training under Tommaso Poggio at the Center for Biological and Computational Learning at MIT. Then he moved back to Israel and he, uh, and he joined the uh, uh, computer science faculty at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He started there in 1996. Uh, in 1999, he was appointed as, uh, he went from teaching assistant to associate professor in 99, and in 2003, he became a full professor. Now, from 2002 to 2005, he, um, yeah, he was an associate professor. In, uh, in uh, he held uh, the Sachs Chair in Computer Science at the Hebrew University since uh, 2007. That's an endowed chair. Uh, where they um, had a grant, basically, that paid his uh, his salary. Now, his, er his work included, he was always focused on visual processing, and he, he was very interested in cognition, how the mind works, how we process images. He was always sort of walking that line. And his early, his early work uh, dealt with visual processing, and how we do grouping mechanisms. You know, when you look at things, you can you can cluster the image into groups, and you and the and the 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 eye automatically does that kind of grouping, and it and it uh, also decides what what you're focusing on, what the saliency is, and so we was focusing on on basically perception as it relates to visual processing. He looked on he he worked on visual recognition, on learning, how we learn to image learning processes. He, he worked on image synthesis for animation and graphics. Now he specialized in the theory of computer vision with multiple view geometry. Uh, almost all systems have multi ca multiple cameras, different camera types, and he would try to fuse them together in order to get a coherent view of it. He worked with uh, multilinear algebraic systems in vision and learning. He was always trying to couple 
sensors with machine learning in order to understand what he was looking at. Now, he may have remained in academia because he was really writing very theoretical papers about vision and imaging. But something happened along the way that, that got him into the track of being a serial entrepreneur. He met Ziv Avaram. He was, now, now, Ziv was a, a CEO of a large Israeli plastics company. And together, they decided to combine Joshua's academic abilities with, Aviam, uh, with Avaram's management and marketing capabilities to establish a high-tech company. So the two of them in 1995 established Cognitens. Now this was a company that developed vision systems for the aerospace industry. Um, what, what he was working on at the time, he said, how can you take a two-dimensional image and then convert it to a three-dimensional rendition? You want to convert two-dimensional images to three-dimensional models. And, and that was very useful for for manufacturing, because they would use cameras, they would look at the at the assembly line, and cameras would look at what's coming down, and they would move them around, and they needed to convert the two-dimensional images to three-dimensional. So they worked on things that helped with aerospace production. Um, that was the his initial uh, his initial company. They ended up selling it to a Swedish company in 2007. Uh, they sold it at a loss, but that was his first foray into the business. In 1999, Joshua founded Mobileye, co-founded Mobileye. Now, that was a company that developed systems on a chip and computer vision algorithms for driving assistance systems, as well as autonomous driving technology. Now, he felt that Mobileye, uh, there are two kinds of sensors that are in these autonomous driving systems. You've got just regular cameras, which you know give you a two-dimensional view, and then you've got laser radars or radar that basically give you a view that includes range data. Yeah, which includes range data. And that's what a LIDAR does where it's LIDAR sending out a pulse of laser light. And a radar is sending out a pulse of radio waves and you get bounced and then and that those waves bounce back. And then you, by looking at the time delay, you can get range data. So he set up a dual processing stack, one for cameras only, and the second one for LIDAR or radar. Now he felt that gave him redundancy, where he where they each each stack could independently figure out what they were going to do. Um, the, what he was trying to do was actually develop the entire system on a chip. And he was using uh, and he was training this thing using using machine learning. So they would expose it to images, and then it would learn. Okay, what does a stop sign look like? What does a stop light look like? What does a a car crossing the road look like? And they they trained it on different scenarios, and it would get smarter and smarter and smarter. Now, in 2014, uh, five years after they set the system up, Mobileye uh, launched its initial public offering IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. They raised about a billion dollars with a market cap of $5.3 billion. So they managed to create a lot of value in just five years. Now, Mobileye's got agreements with six car companies um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know at, at various levels of commitment. These include BMW, Nissan, Volkswagen, and Toyota. Now, 
all of these uh, companies, they're, they're, they're equipped with what they call the IQ4 chip, which is the, which is the, the, the brains of the mobile eye system. And, uh, and, and that chip is used to power advanced driver assistance systems. Now, what, they've got various levels of commitment. Some of the, of the car manufacturers are actually putting mobile eye um, hardware into their cars, and that is the heart of the driver assist system that they're delivering to their customers. Other ones, other uh, companies are just simply working with mobile eye, putting their hardware in test vehicles and using it to uh, evaluate data, improve the process. And so mobile eye is doing joint research with them to develop something which might be unique for that particular car manufacturer. So they got various levels of commitment. Now, what's interesting, Tesla initially uh, was a mobile eye customer, but uh, they went their own way because they wanted, I think, to, because Elon Musk wanted to um, wanted to develop this driver assist technology uh, in a way that was independent of Mobileye. See, Mobileye could support both LiDAR as well as cameras, this dual stream. And for some reason, Elon Musk does not like any kind of ranging device in there. He doesn't want a LiDAR or a radar in his use for autonomous driving. He just has 10 cameras looking out in all directions. And I think that, uh, that Mobileye felt you needed actually both. And most of the other autonomous car companies have both LiDAR as well as, as, well as cameras. So now Tesla's on its own, but they, they started out, and the reason they were an early mover in this whole driver assist technology is that they, they, got, um, they got a head start by working with Mobileye. Now in 2017, Intel acquired Mobileye because Intel, because see, Mobileye was focusing on developing a chip, basically an entire navigation system on a chip. And Intel thought that's a good business for them because they're in the chip business. So they acquired Mobileye in 2017 for $15.3 billion. So that's pretty good valuation created in just uh, in less than 10 years. When Intel purchased Mobileye for $15.3 billion, Joshua became senior vice president at Intel. Uh, and in addition, he kept his title as president and CEO of Mobileye. Now, Mobileye is launched. So in 20, now in 2010, in parallel to Mobileye, Joshua. Uh, developed uh, another uh, technology and, and, and co-founded another company called OrCam. Now, this is a company which, was, which provides assistance to visually impaired based on computer vision capabilities. Basically, you can, um, they've got two versions of their OrCam device. One version just clips on your, on your glasses, and when you look at something, it reads it, and you hear, uh, and you hear it in your ear, because it's right above your ear. And so, whatever you're looking at, it reads. You could look at a sign, you could look at a book, and it will read it to you. And it's self-contained, so it doesn't even need internet access. It's just amazing technology. They also have another, like a handheld device. It's like a pointer pen. You can push a button, and and it writes, uh, and it puts a laser square, projects a laser square out there. 
you put the laser square around whatever you want to read, and it will read it to you. So they've got a handheld tool for assistive reading, or they've got one that just clips on the glasses. So the one that clips on the glasses, I looked at it, it started out to be really expensive. You, you can buy that device now for around $2,000 and clip it on your glasses. That may be a, be a good option for some seniors who are getting macular degeneration and they, they, they can't read now and they could just clip that on their glasses and then they would be, they would be able to read again. It's a fantastic idea. It's really no. amazing. Do you, do you think they do it in different languages too? I guess it would be. There must be a Hebrew version, and it must be an English version. Yeah. Like that. Now that I don't know. Yeah. I, I, the, the The videos that I saw was only, it was only in English. Uh -huh. But but the fact is, I, I'm sure they could do any any language. I think that is probably true. Um, the ones I saw, they were reading English, so <clears throat> I don't know. But. I think it's. I think it. It probably depends on the market, and uh, they could certainly do it uh, uh, with the technology. The uh, now in 2017. Now that he started his uh, his uh, third company, or four, yeah, third company, uh, AI21 Labs. Now he, you know, if you've ever read. Uh, uh, Ray Kurzweil about, you know, the singularity, you know, computers are getting smarter and smarter, especially with deep learning, the, the deep learning methods, that computers can, can learn things that, that we don't, and they can, they can begin functioning in ways that we don't fully understand because they're, they're self-taught. And, and we're reaching a point where computers could become, you know, what Kurzweil's worried about, they could become smarter than men, and then we'd reach the singularity. Well, what... Uh, what Joshua wants to do, he wants to combine uh, the, the, the capability of an AI brain with a human brain, because he thinks that's really the best, because, you know, humans, he doesn't think can be replaced by computers at all, but they can certainly be augmented by computers. So with the AI-21, he's, he's focusing on what he thinks is one of the most difficult problems, which is language, understanding language. A lot of the AI systems will, you know, will train on writing, and they can write stuff down based on kind of pattern recognition, but they truly don't have deep level comprehension of what they're writing. And he thinks that with deep learning, we could get deep level comprehension, and that if we develop tools like that, that we could have an AI tool that would help a human write better. So that's really what they're focused on. I mean, sort of their motto is, their systems will augment the human writer, believing that two heads are better than one. And it, they're developing at AI21, a state-of-the-art language models that focus on understanding and meaning. Um, and so he's already, you know, uh, released prototypes. So the, the idea here is that a writer will just, will, will start writing, and the AI21 system will suggest how they could finish the sentence will suggest a word, and they can collaborate with each other in the writing process to Doc, make writing faster. How does this compare with Grammarly? We talked about Grammarly last week, you know, and it, it has it's getting smarter too, where it's suggesting things, you know. But this is is this a step beyond that? Yeah, this is a step beyond Grammarly because it's yeah. predictive as to what you might say. That's right. Yeah, uh -huh. Grammarly is not deep learning. Grammarly is more pattern recognition. 
uh, it's more shallow learning. It's broadly, it's uh, he calls it broad broad-based learning, a, a lot of data, but it's not deep learning. This is really deep learning uh, that uh, that will they'll be able to infer things at a much much more profound level. That's what he's focused on, where it really becomes almost like you're collaborating with another person in the writing. I I think it's a fantastic idea, actually. Uh, and so because he he believes that humans have this creativity that can never that that really can't be matched by computers, but computers have the they they could look at the whole wealth of language and and of what's been written in the past and draw from uh, our ancestors and bring it up to now and 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 provide real real insight to a writer. So I, I think it's actually a pretty good combination. So he's working on that. That's his that's his next big big vision there. He doesn't he 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 just has some initial prototypes released but he thinks this is where the future is going. Then his last business that he started uh, in, 20, in 2019 is a one-zero digital bank. That's the first of its kind in Israel. It's got no physical branches. It's all digital. Now, what he's doing there, he believes that if you use artificial intelligence and deep learning, you can make a bank that would be better for the clients. For instance, it might figure out how they should save their money, how they should invest, how they, it, it could help them solve problems. And so it's using artificial intelligence to make banking very convenient for the everyday customer. I, I mean, uh, you, you could see where um, if you had artificial intelligence, intelligence working with you, you, you necessarily don't need an investment advisor. It could, it could tell you how you should invest your money based on your risk profile. So he's he's trying to he's trying to make banking really convenient for for the everyday person um, using AI. He's got he's he's got about 100 people working at that company right now. Now he received first prize in the 2004 K Innovation Contest. He was a um, he got in 2005 he won the Landau Prize for Science and Research in the area of exact sciences and robotics, 2005. In 2019, it was recognized by the Society for Imaging Science and Technology as the Electronic Imaging Scientist of the Year. In 2020, he was awarded the Dan David Prize for his work in artificial intelligence. His The quote, which I thought was most of note, that I, when I looked at a lot of stuff that he wrote, he said, we are in the midst of an AI revolution. And he believes that's going to change everything. As I looked up his net worth as of 2022, his net worth is $1.5 billion. I mean, he's made a lot of money on his companies, but I don't think he's necessarily motivated by money. He's motivated by making a difference in the world. So there's everything you needed to know about Amnon Shashua, computer scientist from Israel, best known as co-founder of Mobileye. So we have mentioned Israeli companies before on Tech Talk Radio, uh, but we have not explored what makes that sector unique. And Doc will talk about why it's a particularly fertile source of new technology. So pour yourself a coffee, pull up a chair as we join Doc for his observations from the faculty lounge next on Tech Talk Radio. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. Let's look at the magic of the Israeli tech sector. How did they get so good? How did such a small company create an ecosystem that could have so many innovative startups? Now, the early 1990s saw an increase in immigration from the former Soviet Union. Many, many people who immigrated to, uh, to Israel from the Soviet Union held academic or managerial positions before arriving in Israel. Now, when they arrived, industry in Israel ran a massive retraining program involving 20,000 people to turn civil and agricultural engineers into hardware and software specialists. It was a major retraining effort, which was a national priority. At the same time, Israel set up the Israeli Defense Force, IDF. Now, the Israeli Defense Force, they were started really from scratch, and they inherited very little from traditional armed forces regarding tradition, protocol, and doctrines. They created their own traditions, protocols, and doctrines. And they had mandatory military service for everybody in Israel. So every youth eventually spent four years in the military. And those four years shaped their lives. And they actually influenced how they would proceed in business. And when they subsequently went to work, say in the tech sector, their experience in the military influenced how they managed their operations. Now, the reason for that is that the Israeli military had three basic principles that they set up in order to make their operations efficient. Number one was the debrief. The military would set up elite military units would end each day with a debrief 
Now, the debrief would last 90 minutes. In these debriefs, everything and everyone was examined. They challenged their supervisors. They challenged anybody in authority with the goal of learning and improving from the mistakes that were made. The second principle of the IDF, the reorg, reorganization, building on the daily debrief after every significant engagement, IDF examines the way it operates as a whole, looking for opportunities to improve and to reorganize itself. The third principle was a flat hierarchy. The IDF is narrow at the top with very few senior officers, uh, much fewer senior officers than equivalently sized militaries. This is largely in response to the constraints that IDF is working under, regardless of available resources. Now, in the first day of enlistment, recruit, recruits are told, challenge your chief. Operationally in the military, innovation comes from the bottom up. Perhaps the most famous of the IDF units is Unit 8200. That's Israeli's elite Army Intelligence Unit. Today's Unit 8200 is primarily made up of 18 to 21-year-olds who sign up for four years. Many alumni from these units, especially the Unit 8200, go on to form startups. This culture of startups where they have innovation from the bottom, challenge your chief, they, if something's wrong, you fix it. Don't wait for the chief to tell you. That idea, that can-do attitude, is critical to startups. It's also critical to the success of the idea. That's why the military, Israeli military is so effective. Now, but you just can't have people that know how to manage a startup. You've got to have a whole ecosystem. So Israel set up in 1992 the YASMA program. It, it was designed to incentivize venture investments. Now, the program uh, made $20 million available for a 1.5 to 1% match. You know, if, if they get an investor to put a dollar into a company, they'll put in a dollar and a half, a dollar to a dollar and a half, funded by the government. It was from these funds that the Jerusalem Venture Partners was seeded. In 10 years, from 2006 to 2015, the Israeli high-tech industry has come close to doubling the number of startups annually from around 550 to 650 a year in 2006 to 2009 to between 1,050 to 1,150 in 1120 to 1114. As of 2018, the number of new startups has leveled off to around 1,000 per year, which is really a lot of startups for such a a small company. The other thing that the uh, Yasma program did, they would invest seed money into the um, into the startup, but uh, once the startup was successful, they would allow the startup to purchase back the equity at a very reasonable price. That way, they shared the risk, but they didn't take all the equity. So it became a very big incentive for startups there. Now, what causes Israel to be such a, in a unique position to have this great startup ecology? Well, it's got a unique history. 
It's shaped by the people of Israel, those with a relevant skill set. Education, an army background, find the, have found the perfect economic conditions set up by the Yasma program to create new tech companies. Now, institutional infrastructure is readily available in Israel. That includes tax incentives, state-subsidized venture capital, incubators, and R&D support. There are probably 25 incubators all over Israel, which make it very easy. When I was in Israel, and I was there in Palestine, went around Palestine, went around Israel, I went to a number of, a number of the incubators. They are everywhere. And uh, and I you know I talked to some of the folks in the incubators. They are highly highly motivated. It's really interesting. I went to some incubators in Palestine. See what what Israel's doing? They're putting incubators in Palestine. They actually are setting up universities in Palestine because they believe the way to solve the problem of Palestinian uh, poverty is is to educate the youth of Palestine, teach them how to do startups, and then support those startups so they can create companies in Palestine and create jobs. So they're they're trying to change the economy within Palestine with uh, with technology. I think it's I think it's a brilliant a brilliant idea. And I did talk to some of the some of the entrepreneurs at incubators in Palestine. They were they were highly motivated. And to me they seemed just like the kids that were in Israel. They 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 had the same spark and same same enthusiasm. Now, it, in addition, Israel has a culture where universities encourage their professors to commercialize innovation. Like Joshua, I mean, he was at a university, but they encouraged him to start these companies in order, in order to get his discoveries out in the field. And that, uh, having universities which support a startup culture is extremely important. I mean, if you go out to Silicon Valley, what Berkeley, Berkeley is out there and Berkeley, you know, supports this e ecosystem with uh, with Silicon Valley to, and startups. Stanford does. You go out to Stanford. Uh, Stanford is all about startups. So you need a university system that actually supports that. Now, at the at the annual reunion, by the way, of unit 8200, that's the intelligence unit, uh, they get together and the alumni present <laughs> At this reunion, all the companies that they've that they founded, it's, it becomes a uh, so this intelligence unit has sort of become a springboard for new entrepreneurs. So there you go, everything you want to know about the Israeli tech scene and why the Israeli tech sector is magical. Very good. And now a few minutes ago, we talked about Starlink at the beginning of the show. Uh, so you know how you can get Starlink nowadays as. Uh, uh, an internet provider, maybe if you're unsatisfied with your phone company, and but Starlink is very big, a uh, big part of the Ukraine war, and uh, and we've talked about it before, but there's more to talk about, and we'll catch up with that in a moment here on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives one student at a time. 
How do you advance your career while still working full-time with an education that fits your schedule? Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about Starlink again. Now, Starlink has totally decimated Putin's disinformation campaign. Putin is used to actually controlling the airways and sending out only his message. Now, but Starlink has kept him from doing that quite completely. They have used, Starlink is an internet, a satellite low earth orbit internet system that uh, Elon Musk has provided to to, uh, Ukraine in order to uh, help them maintain the internet. It turned out that on February 24th, one hour before Russia launched its attack into Ukraine, Russia hacked the satellite provider that provided all internet access for the Ukrainian military. So they, Ukrainian military, one hour before the attack, were totally blindsided all internet access, all internet communication down. Two days after the attack, Elon Musk sent, shipped Starlink dishes to Ukraine within hours after they'd been requested. So far, 15,000 Starlink kits have been delivered to Ukraine over the past three months. Now, USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, paid Elon Musk $2 million for some of them, but, uh, you know, for about 1,300 terminals. But Elon Musk sent 15,000 terminals over, which cost about $10 million, and he was only paid by USAID $2 million. So he just basically uh, sent it over there uh, at, at his own cost to get it over there. And, it, and, and, it, and the impact was absolutely you know, striking for the Ukrainians. For one thing, they they were able to use the Starlink for sending coordinates for artillery strikes. So the Ukrainian army has been very successful using artillery because they had Starlink to communicate. Vladimir Zelensky's speeches have been transmitted across the world using Starlink services. Putin wanted to shut him down so he couldn't talk to the world. But I'm telling you, Zelensky's got more presence on the world stage than Putin because of Starlink. So the impact strategically is to totally destroy Putin's information campaign. Ukraine is getting the word out over the Internet, and people in Russia are able to see Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian news when they, they basically have to bypass the Russian censors. But you can do that with VPNs. I mean, VPNs are being sold in Russia like gangbusters because people want to get around Putin's blockages. 
They use it to plan. They use Starlink to plan flight missions. They um, they uh, they use it to fight misinformation from Russia. It, Starlink's used to keep soldiers in touch with their families. It also uh, they play games. <laughs> they play games over you know because you know war is hurry up and then wait. So it provides a source of leisure during downtimes for the uh, Ukrainian army. That's an interesting slice of life, isn't it? I mean, you think about war and it's relentless and it's horrible, but in reality, as brutal as it is, obviously, there, in reality, there are these downtimes in between shelling attacks or when uh, you know you're out of range of certain targets. And 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 here's this like real life thing where these guys need just a little bit of a break and some kind of diversion, like any other human being. And it's That's really right. interesting that Starlink is used for that as well. So, it, it, you know, the other interesting thing, a lot of uh, military take online classes. And so during the downtimes, they'll log in and they'll, they'll do, they'll do online, online classwork during their downtime. So they continue their education even while they're on the battlefield. Uh, Starlink lets them do that. And it, it is absolutely amazing that, that Elon Musk could provide that. Now, as soon as Elon Musk put up these these this internet service for Ukraine, the Russians jammed it. So they they put out jammers. They they wanted to break. They wanted to disable the Starlink system, but it turned out that uh, that Elon Musk's system was actually had software radios in it, and he was able to actually reprogram those radios so they could operate successfully against the jammers. So Putin was unable to shut down Starlink because it was it could dynamically adjust itself. Our US military said, hey, we gotta get some of that stuff because even our military can't do that. So listen, we love, love, love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And check out the Stratford University programs on www dot stratford dot edu and you know we got nursing health sciences uh, software engineering computer networking cybersecurity, hospitality culinary arts business and accounting and tell them that you heard about those programs on tech talk radio tech talk radio is sponsored by stratford university for more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.